Welcome to Let's Talk Innovation. This is the first in a four-part podcast series from ING that delves into innovation strategy and innovation trends both inside and outside of the financial sector. In other words, we're all about fintech or financial technology. My name is Jonathan Gruber, and we're calling this first episode Innovation more than a buzzword. So why do companies need to innovate? What are the challenges that come with innovation, but also the challenges of keeping customers satisfied? Now, I have two major players in the field to help me answer these questions. And the first is Olivier Guillemont. Did I say that right, Olivier? Very well, indeed. And you are Global Head of Innovation Labs and Fintechs at ING, right? Hello. That's Welcome. Right. Hello. And also on the line, and it, it sounds really good, but actually he's he's speaking through an app talking about technology, right? Uh, we have Jeff Tyson, who is the global head of consulting at 11FS. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you so much. So, Olivier, why don't we just start with you, and can you tell me just a bit about yourself, your background, and how one gets to be the global lead of innovation labs at ING? Of course, Jonathan. My name is Olivier Guillemont. I'm 44 years old, born and raised in France. Um, I have a background in engineering, astrophysics, to be more precise. Really? Yes. Fascinating. It's all about the stars. It is all about the stars, isn't it? We can, You know what? We can do a separate podcast all about uh, physics and astrophysics. I love that stuff. I love that. Me too. Andre Kuiper's in it. Yeah. Andre Kuiper, black holes. Okay. But let's get back to this show. And how did you actually get to be the uh, global lead of Innovation Labs at ING? And what, what is an Innovation Lab? I mean, like, I imagine lots of test tubes and Bunsen burners. <laughs> it's almost that. I first started my career at Accenture as a strategy consultant for 10 years. And ING used to be one of my clients. I used to work for large banks across Europe. And I always was intrigued by ING compared to the other banks that I used to work for. It's very entrepreneurial, very different, very daring. Um, and I thought, okay, if I will ever cross the river <laughs> to work for a bank, that will be ING. Um, and that's what I've done. So I, um, after I left uh, Accenture, I created a company called Smile, which um, is, is um, um, providing open source implementation at large companies. It's a very big European company right now. And I exited um, some time ago. And then I thought, what should I do next? And then I remembered ING and a few of my friends were working for ING and just, they were just happy to welcome me. Um, and I started off uh, in a change department implementing big projects. And then by accident, I came across a former client of mine who used to be the new head of innovation at ING at the time. And what was it exactly about ING that you found so exciting and different from other large banks? Well, I guess for maybe some of our, of our audience, um, the first time I got to know ING was via the letter introducing ING Direct, maybe 20 years ago or so, um, who I guess was one of the first big innovation in the banking industry, creating a branchless direct bank, fully direct. And they were proposing this amazing rate. And I was a student and I was like, wow, amazing. A bank without a branch proposing uh, very attractive prices. I like that. Ah, okay. And I, I never forget about this, right? So in a very orange, daring colors, a different tone of voice on the letter. 
and just a different way to interact with customers. I really like that. Well, I remember when they were blue in the Dutch, they said the postpunk blau, pas bij jou, right? And then they became all this big orange color. Well, they, they were blue in the Netherlands, right? Postbank, but um, the whole ING Direct thing was actually a global endeavor, also in the US where you're from, right, Jonathan, right? So we launched at the time ING Direct in the US and Canada and many places of the world, but with that completely new business model. And Jeff, can you also tell me a bit about yourself and about 11FS, what you guys do, and what your role is in all of this? Of course, uh, Jonathan. So I was uh, I was born and raised in the Netherlands. Actually, uh, you can probably still still hear some of the accent, even though I left uh, I left Amsterdam quite a few years ago now. So born and raised in the Netherlands, lived in Amsterdam for for, for many years. Worked with uh, a variety of of the Dutch banks, including ING, for several years. Um, and now I've been living in London for uh, for about ten years now, coming up to uh, coming up to ten years. Um, I mean, I've I've spent my entire career in financial services, and and um, you know throughout my career, I've been incredibly fortunate to work with some some amazing financial institutions from from Hong Kong to South Africa to Saudi Arabia uh, uh, to even uh, places like Omaha Nebraska uh, which was an awful lot of fun especially in the winter there's a lot of insurance there right a lot of insurance companies in Omaha right the, that there is indeed, yeah, there is indeed some some amazing banks there as well. So it's uh, it was it was a it was a wonderful and a, and a very very interesting experience. Um, if I fast forward to, to today, Jonathan, so I, I run the global consulting business uh, at 11FS, um, which is a, a financial services consultancy that's that's working with uh, with clients across the globe to really help them build the, the future of financial services. So uh, effectively what we do is we build digital products and services that, that customers really, really love. And, and we founded the business um, probably about four and a half years ago now. And, and yeah, since then, we work with clients in uh, such as RBS in the UK and Standard Chartered in Hong Kong and, and Citibank in the US and Grab, the big technology player in Singapore and, and many, many more. So I uh, am pre-COVID um, I was probably traveling for, for two, uh, two weeks a month. Um, during COVID, uh, I'm at home with my, uh, with my family, which uh, again, there's always a silver lining with these things, but uh, I do look forward to being able to, uh, to go and travel the world again and, and work with some, uh, some amazing organizations in different parts of the world. And what exactly does 11FS specialize in? I'm a bank. I have something that needs doing. I call up 11FS and I get that done. What do you guys do? Yeah, I, I get the question a lot, to be honest. And I think, I mean, a lot of people ask me, ask me about the name as well. What, what does 11FS actually stand for? Yeah, um, what does 11FS actually stand for? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually pretty straightforward. Right? So we, we um, the, the founding team, um, we're big fans of, of sports analogies. So the 11 really really stands for 11 players on the pitch and so bringing together the, the best, the brightest and the most, right. ta- most talented players to, to really do the best work of their careers. And the FS bit, I mean, we're quite a niche business, uh, Jonathan, so the FS simply stands for financial services. It's, that's uh, that's you know, the only industry that we, that we focus on. So at, at 11FS, we help clients across the globe um, to develop new digital services. And it could be a, a standalone SME lending proposition, for example, which is one of the things that we're currently working on, uh, all the way through to a greenfield challenger bank that we're currently building in the Middle East, you know, all the way through to a, a new corporate banking platform, which is one of the things that we're currently working on across Europe as well. So quite a, quite a broad range uh, of, of things that we do you know, to support financial institutions across the globe. Now, this might be a, a bit blunt sounding, so forgive me if I just throw it right out there. But, you know, isn't uh, innovation a bit of an empty buzzword, Olivier? I mean, doesn't everybody say that? 
I think it is indeed. I think it is a a buzzword and probably vastly misused. It's actually a new word, you know. Innovation is not that. It doesn't exist since too long. I think it exists since maybe early 20 or something. Um, before that, we used to talk about things like invention or progress, right? Which were giving some positive signals about a future which human beings will, will be looking forward to, right? And I think sometimes innovation now is more used as you innovate or you die, which might bring some confusing messages. But, at, at, you know, I think I really believe that innovation should be seen as the guiding light towards a desirable future. And I think it matters. I think it's very important, and that's why we're here, right? So, uh, why it is? Um, well, well, actually, that that is the next question, which was, yeah. of course, it matters. But why does it matter so much? Yeah, it matters because in the end, it's 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 it's, it's the um, the way to create a future that we all strive for as a society, and it requires leadership, strong leadership. We were discussing about ING Direct not so long, you know, a few minutes ago, and you know, when we started off ING Direct more than 20 years ago, we lost money for 10 years. 10 years. In the day of today, very difficult to accept to have a losing business for 10 years, right? So you need to have that drive, that leadership say, this is what's going to make, make a future for society. So we but, believe in it, right? So that's, that's right. So what are, you, what are you trying to say? You're, you, you lost money for 10 years, and the only reason why that was acceptable is because there was the... There was this vision, will, right? The will and vision within the organization exactly. to do that. Exactly. So what is the will and vision we're talking about? No, exactly. So you need that top-down approach, right? Because if you don't have that top-down approach, the, whatever you think you're going to innovate is not going to work, right? Management so you, has to believe in it too. Right? And they have to be the driving force and for a long time because you can't innovate in six months, right? It takes time before you create impact for your clients, your society, etc. So I think it's about leadership, top-down. It's about having the right culture. It's about being very close to your customers to really understand what they want, what are their pain points, what they're aiming at, but also to understand the underlying forces of the world we're living in. So that mindset allows you to every day keep on what are the things that can do to be better. Jeff, same question to you. Why does innovation matter? And, and if you could give me a solid example as to how that really matters, that would be great. Of course, I think just just I, I mean, I, I, I do agree with uh, what Olivier was saying earlier, but just just to add to that. Um, I mean, the, the, the world is constantly evolving, and also as human beings, we're always looking for, for new ways to grow and to, to evolve and really challenge the status quo, it's just, just in our human nature. And, and um, apart from innovation just being absolutely vital to an organization's success, and I think the, you know, the, uh, Oliver gave some, gave some great examples, I'd say there's probably three other reasons why, why innovation is important. Um, uh, one, it really allows you to stand out from your competitors and, and give you a unique competitive advantage, which in turn allows you to, to then grow your market share. Uh, two, uh, it allows you to really um, uh, to better meet customer needs, um, which is fundamentally important. And I think you know, banks in general still have a long way to go when it comes to just better understanding the brutal realities of customers' lives and providing products and services that really address those needs. And three, it puts you in a better position to attract top talent, whether that really provides the organization with, with an infusion of new skills. And with things changing so quickly as an organization, you just can't sit back and just be happy with the status quo. So I say th those three things to me are fundamentally important, not just for, for, for banks or any financial institution, but, but for any organization really uh, to, to be successful, not just in the short term, but also in the longer term. Maybe it's also very interesting to look at what happens um, when companies fail to innovate. What are the consequences? And I think this is easy for you to talk about as well, Olivier, because 
I think there are many examples, right, of businesses who completely went out of business because they were just not able to understand the world they were living in and the underlying forces which is discussed about, right? So there are a few examples which I always like to use. One being the blockbuster. You remember the blockbuster in the US? Sure, blockbuster video rental. Massive business, right? I think at some point in time they have more than 80 people, 80,000 people working for them, just massive. Just completely unable to understand the transition toward the digital model, right? And I think there is a story of Netflix CEO wanted to sell Netflix to Blockster at the time for, I think, $50 million uh, or something. Um, and the guy just refused, well, you know, you guys are a niche market, there is no future. Well, <laughs> I think... We see who got the last know, laugh, is exactly. what you're trying to say. And I think the same happened with, you know, Kodak and Polaris of this world, whereby they were leaders in their market, very uh, successful products, uh, clear leadership on their segments, but not really, either not being able to see a massive change in terms of a new technology coming in, a new possibility that come with it, or being able to see it in the case of Kodak and, you know, but not daring to really make the big move. And well, in the end, for both of them, it was the end of it, right? So, um, and more recently, how about Nokia? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in the banking world, are there banks where you can think maybe you don't want to name them directly because you work in that world, but are there banks where you think to yourself, these guys, if they're not careful? Well, I mean, look, if you look back at history, not so long ago, 2008, the crisis, right? Just Yeah. So you could say, is it innovation? Is it a lack of understanding of being in control? And, you know, you also need to innovate to be in control and to stay in control and to, to have that, you know, to earn that trust that people put in yourself, right? Um, so, yeah, I would say those are good examples of banks. Are you thinking uh, of Lehman, back, Lehman right? Brothers? Yeah. Is that what you're, yeah? Okay. Was that a failure to understand the market or a failure of innovation? Being innovative has many consequences, right? You can innovate by creating new products and services that, uh, as we just closer to what your clients are looking for, but you can also very much innovate in your internal processes, the ability to do stress testing, to understand where, you know, how resist, resilient you are from any stress. Um, and that's probably where some banks have, uh, let's say, felt in the past. Right. And, and Jeff, why don't you get in on this? Is there an example where you think uh, this was a failure to innovate and as a result of that, they had to pay the price? Plenty, as, as Oliver was saying, and we're not just seeing this in financial services. We're seeing we're seeing this in so many other industries as well. I think re retail was probably a good example. I mean, you know, J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, Toys R Us. Uh, the, the, the list goes <laughs> yeah. on and on and on. And 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 these were. Um, you know, these were large businesses that, that not that long ago were, were effectively deemed to be very, very successful and, and often global businesses. And I think their demise happened you know, very, very rapidly and, and very, very quickly. And I always find it quite interesting to look at um, uh, the, the, the stock market as well. If you look at the largest companies uh, on, on the U.S. stock market today, and if you compare that, I mean, they're, they're all tech companies. Right? So you've got Amazon, Microsoft, you know, Apple, Google, uh, you name it. If you compare it to the largest companies on the U.S. stock market, let's say, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, it was fundamentally different. Well, the largest companies back then, um, you know, were, were, were mostly banks and, and some large industrial companies like Shell. Um, and, and I think what's interesting about that shift that we've seen in the past, you know, 15, 20 years or so is that the largest companies today really have innovation in their DNA. Right? And I think that, that really sets them apart from a lot of the organizations who have yet to make the transition and are still on that, you know, on that journey. You're thinking of the Amazons and the Apples of this world. 
Yeah, exactly. But e even if you look at those companies, um, they are constantly looking for ways to evolve and diversify their business and, and look at new revenue streams as opposed to yeah, just sitting back and thinking, well, we've got a very, very successful business model. That, will, that business model will keep on going for the next couple of years. There isn't necessarily a massive need to innovate. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing in the financial services space where the need for banks to be more innovative today is far greater than what we've ever seen before. You know, Jeff, you don't actually work for a bank. You work for a company that works for banks. And you have to be innovative all the time and forge ahead. Do you have to drag the banks along with you? Are you fighting to get them to keep up with a, a nimble organization like yourself? I mean, for someone who spent his entire career in financial services, I'm, I'm definitely seeing uh, seeing a bit of a, a bit of a shift in the industry in, in, in recent years. And as, as Oliver was saying earlier, I think there's um, there's a big difference between long term vision. And I think every every single exec that I speak to on a daily basis realizes there's a fundamental need for you know, for organisations you know, for, for the banks to to transform. And just just to build on what what Oliver was saying earlier. Um, um, I do agree that it's it's hard for banks to innovate, given the regulatory environment that they have to operate in. I mean, market dynamics are constantly changing, regulatory environment keeps on changing, customer demands and expectations are changing, new entrants are entering the market, so you don't just have your existing, if you're an ING, you don't just have you know, an ABN and, 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 and other, uh, other banks that you're competing with. You've got lots and lots of new entrants um, um, you know, trying to, uh, to, to, to effectively uh, eat your lunch uh, as well. And then there's, there's plenty of technological advances as well that we've seen in recent years. I mean, if, if I wanted to, to build a bank uh, 10 years ago, it was incredibly diff difficult and, uh, and it, was, it, was, uh, it was very costly as well to go and do that. Now, if you look at some of the components that are effectively readily available, it just makes things yeah, a hell lot easier to, to, to spin up a new, uh, uh, a new startup or, or, or even launch, you know, launch a new bank. And all of those changes are happening at a much faster pace than what we've ever seen before. But as I was saying earlier, I, I do believe, though, that regulation in particular plays a major role there and, and is, is, is sort of hindering banks from being more, more innovative. Um, and, and banks, of course, yeah, are very, very heavily regulated and for obvious reasons. And that does indeed prevent them from being more innovative and, and to, to operate the same way uh, to, let's say, a, a fintech startup uh, would do. I think the other reason that, that, that uh, plays a major role um, is that yeah, many large financial institutions still run on, on old legacy technology. That's, that's sometimes 30, 40 years old. So transforming the organization from within and being able to move at pace is incredibly difficult and really requires you know, strong leadership and a, and a fundamental realization that the world is changing. And if you take ING as an example, I don't know what the latest numbers are, Olivier, but you know, from memory, I think it's about 50,000 employees. People are so used to a certain way of doing things. I think the point is that you don't change your religion overnight. So uh, you well said. this concept of you know, we, 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 need to be, we need to be more agile and, and, and agile transformation at scale, that takes time. And I think um, uh, a lot of organizations, ING included, are still on that journey. Do I think they're doing the right things and are they taking the right steps? Yes, absolutely. Do I think this is a change that you can make within the space of you know, 12 months or even, even two, three, four, five years? No, it, it just takes much longer to, to transform such a large organization. You know, Olivia, you work for a big bank with a big legacy. Can you give me an example of a time that you wanted to innovate but you actually couldn't. You got you got blocked due for whatever reasons of, of pushback or conservatism or whatever the reason was. That's a great question. Um, and then maybe a few examples, right, to make it very concrete. Um, when you have, you know, an idea of things that you think can really change the world, or can really bring a lot of benefits to your clients and to yourself, um, 
you know, many things can happen. So, and that's the beauty of innovation is the unknown, right? <laughs> the only thing that you know that you just don't know. Um, so when we were looking into, you know, the evolution of digital assets and cryptocurrencies, we're okay, well, that's a very interesting concept. That's something we want to, we want to try out. And so we looked into it deeper and then we realized, well, actually there is not, at least to our taste, enough customer protection at the moment, right? So it's more us saying, okay, good to experiment, not good to scale because we feel it's not ready yet. The market is not ready yet. The regulator is not ready yet. And the rules are not clear enough to really scale, which is what we want to be is to create impact for, you know, at scale. Sometimes, like Bitcoin, things like that. Exactly. And, and many other, you know, we have many, many of those <laughs> digital currencies and digital assets right now. Um, I should say cryptocurrencies, which is very different than digital assets, just to be, to be clear. So it's really like Bitcoin to any other cryptocurrencies. Another example could be that um, that you want to do something and then you realize if you want to scale, then you you face really big challenges, big hurdles. So I remember at some point in time, I think two years ago, we wanted to create instant mortgage. So to really be able to give a mortgage in a few seconds. Because we thought, okay, well, we have the data. Uh, if we know our clients correctly, uh, we're able very quickly to say yes or no, and we can also have an automated pricing engine behind. So it's great stuff. But then we realized, for instance, that in France, Well, you can't do that because there is the local law that says it has to be a paper signed. <laughs> you need to give seven days to think. <laughs> so your instant mortgage is just not possible, right? So you really have to adapt to any of the local, you know, local, local uh, regulation in Europe. We have plenty. Um, same for digital onboarding. I'm sure uh, if, if you become an ING client and you, you will onboard, you know, via your mobile completely remote, like uh, other banks are doing. But what you, and we wanted to have one way of doing it with one, you know, um, solution for it, if you will, but you realize it's just impossible because in Holland you can do, you know, for, to identify yourself, you can do a selfie, for instance, in Germany, you can't, you have to have a, a, a video onboarding in, in France, it needs to be paper. So you just can't have one scalable way of providing the best that what we think could be the best customer experience for, for our clients, right? So those things are, have to be looked into account. So look, we focused mainly on ING, but but Jeff, can you tell me about other organizations that you feel are amazing innovators? And by this, I mean banks, where you thought to yourself, "Whoa, those guys are good." Yeah, it's it's a question I often get from uh, from the execs that I'm that I'm speaking to and that I'm working with. So who who does this really really well? And I do think there's there's a couple of a couple of really really interesting examples. But I think that the thing that I I always enjoy doing as part of those discussions is always look outside uh, outside of financial services for inspiration. So who is doing this really really well? And I think Grab, so one of the companies that we work with in in Singapore. Um, is is um, is doing some really really interesting stuff, and constantly looking. What did they do? So started as a. Well, they, they they bought Uber in Southeast Asia, so effectively they started as a as a taxi company, effectively, um, and more and more they've now moved into financial services, and and this is obviously what we're seeing in uh, particularly in Asia, the the development of of super apps that sort of allows you to run your entire life on one single app. I mean, I've I've had the pleasure of of, of doing work in China and visiting China uh, on many many occasions, and you know, using WeChat. I mean, that's that's effectively the only app you need to run your life, um, but also. So an organization like Goldman, I mean, one of the oldest financial institutions in the world, if you look at what Goldman has managed to do with Marcus, you know, initially started, uh, initially launching Marcus as a, as a savings account, a very, very attractive savings account um, with very, very clever uh, underlying technology. 
and a very clearly articulated proposition and, and, and go to market. Um, but now how that, that platform is constantly evolving and how they're using you know, the new platform that they've built to again diversify the business and introduce new, uh, you know, new products and, and new services. Um, uh, BBVA, I think, is another good example. I said one of uh, Jason, one of our co-founders, uh, interviewed the chairman uh, at BBVA many, many years ago. And he said back in, uh, I think it was 2007, where he realized that the, uh, the people he had on his board and his executive team were effectively all bankers. And he realized that you know, the world of financial services is changing. And I need uh, people with a different skill set you know, on, on my team. Now, again, that's a journey that they've been on for quite a few years. And, and, and you know, that's a journey that will continue for many, many more years to come. But I do think there's some really, really interesting examples is both uh, uh, within financial services as well as outside of financial services. So players that weren't necessarily a traditional bank, but are now moving into financial services via partnerships and other things that they're looking to do as well. I think there is one very interesting company, at least within the financial services space, and which we might not know very well in Europe, and I'm sure Jeff is very much aware of it, is close by to China. It's called Ping'an. And this company is unbelievable. It's an insurer at the very beginning, but now it's everything. Those guys are just, they're just IPO'd, right? The biggest IPO ever with uh, one connect yeah. a few weeks back. And I think those guys, they really understood the power of the network, network effect and the platform economy, right? That we, when Jeff was explaining, you know, if you, if you look back to the top 50 companies of today compared to 50 years ago, you know, the top 10 of today, most of them, if not all of them, have adopted a platform business model whereby you are not, you know, mastering a business domain on your own. So you're not the GE of the 80s, right? Or you're not the General Motors of the, of the 70s because you just can't do it without the right ecosystem, right? So what you see with Apple, Google, Facebook, but also their Chinese equivalents, they have understood one thing is the power of that ecosystem, the network effect. And being and they just understood that completely, but really mastering at building, you know, businesses after businesses, verticals after verticals, starting with insurance, but also moving into mobility and creating every time an ecosystem and being very good at that. At the same time, building an empire of technology underneath, which then they also open up to the ecosystem. So on one hand, it's a give and take where they say, look, come to my platform and I'm going to power you via my technology, which I developed by building the ecosystem together with yourself, right? So it's very impressive what they have done. Um, and I think at ING, we have looked into them, their models and we, you know, we, we, I think we're happy to say that we are trying to, uh, uh, to, to take some of the great ideas that they've been able to put off, right? So it's quite interesting. That was my next question was, I guess you're, you're, this is what we can see from ING in the future. And you're saying, yeah, we're definitely looking at that. Yeah. I think we'll be very clear to the market that, uh, you know, a platform business model, I think for years is, is the entire part of our strategy. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And I'm going to introduce a topic that I think that we have to talk about. How is COVID-19 impacting the way you're working. And by that, I don't just mean lots of hand sanitizer and, and Zoom meetings. <laughs> How, well, we, we, we don't do Zoom <laughs> to start with. Teams or whatever you use. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've got I've got at least 10 apps. <laughs> yes, at yes. least 10 apps. Yes, okay. you have to be yeah. flexible there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think it starts with, you know, it impacted a lot of our customers, right? So... Regardless of the segment, retail, SMEs, corporate. So for us, it means being very close to our clients. What does that mean? Well, some of them are in not you know, the best shape ever. So how do you, do you help them uh, survive? How do you help them making sure they get back onto, on their, onto their feet? But also how do you prevent 
them from entering the, the danger zone, right? By having early warning signals and making sure that you're in this together. Uh, so that's one of our biggest priority at the moment across the boards. Um, at the same time, obviously, it accelerated massively the digitization. For sure. Digitalization, yeah. The adoption of mobile payment is, is just uh, mind-blowing. I think we made a count uh, a few days ago whereby in 2019, we had six times more digital card transactions than in 2018. Sixfold. It's just unbelievable. And today we have, I think, 80% of our interaction are mobile. So it's really moving into a very rapidly to a full digital world. It's, it's heading completely into driving... It's driving the business completely in your direction, isn't it, Olivier? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we're not the only one in this business. And we need to make sure that we keep up with the rhythm and that we do provide all the digital services that our clients are asking for. Um, I should also say that we see a move toward touchless industry. Touchless? Of course. Because, you know, you don't want, people want to touch less, less objects. So within the labs, we have two interesting uh, initiatives which are really much in that uh, trend. One, that's the invisible ticket I was referring to where you don't need to have a card, nothing, no ticket. You just go on a tram, on a train and you know... And you mean like a sensor picks up your phone and reads it? Absolutely. And you know where you are and you're automatically you're debited, right? And we have developed in this initiative a together for, with our train operators a crowdiness indicator so that people can see how crowdy a wagon is or a train is to know where you can go, right? And that's a very good success. Very interesting to see. And you, Jeff, how is it affecting your work? Well, it won't come as a surprise that you know, when when um, when COVID hit us, uh, every bank. I mean, the first thing that, that that effectively every bank did was was really rethink their their priorities and and what really matters to them. So typically, you know, they they divided their their projects into three different categories: which ones do we want to continue, which ones do we want to pause, and which ones do we want to kill. And um, as Oliver was saying earlier, COVID has really accelerated that that shift to digital, and, and things that that uh, the banks tried to do for many years are now suddenly uh, suddenly possible within the space of of weeks and. Um, I spoke to uh, to uh, one of our clients um, who told me that you know, they had already hit within the space of a couple of months they had already hit their digital adoption targets uh, for 2022, which which is insane. I mean, not surprising, but but still, it's it's insane. And um, uh, another another client of ours um, who'd been with the organization works for for a very large financial institution, had been there for 17 years, and this was the first time ever that he worked from a you know, young family, three kids, first time ever in 17 years that he worked from home. And <laughs> so I think even though it's terrible to see what has happened and, and, and the impact on, on the economy and small businesses and, and lots and lots of individuals, there's, there's always a silver lining with, with, with these things. And, and I mean, from our perspective, we've had so many requests in, in the past couple of months from, from banks you know, wanting to talk about the impact of, of COVID on their business and, and, and how they should uh, change their operating model or, or ways of working or, or uh, as Oliver was saying earlier, um, accelerate the shift towards digital or building a new, a new digital platform. And I think that there really is a clear realization um, amongst bank boards that, that their organizations are behind the curve, uh, uh, yeah, most organizations at least, when it comes to providing digital services to, to their customers. And, and I think since uh, that's what we are focusing on yeah, as a business at, at 11MS, I think we're, we're pretty well placed yeah, to help those organizations transform. I was about to say, this is an opportunity. 
<laughs> this is perfect for it you, is, isn't it? It's it's it certainly is. I wouldn't say perfect, uh, but yeah, I think as an organisation, we're very well placed to uh, yeah, to help those organisations. Well, for the people who who, who, who do what you do and the people who, who do what Olivier does, uh, this is these this the silver lining of this, of course, is that you are the people who others will turn to for the solutions. So I, I guess in that sense, there's a silver lining, but not for everybody. We have to say that quickly, right? And maybe there are a few other things I would like to add to that, because I think the, I think the, the fact that everybody had to work from home, um, when, you know, when you have an organization of 50,000 people, it's, it's from overnight, it's because it really happened overnight, right? So it's really impressive. Um, also, how resilient you know those companies are. I think the 55 uh, very impressed by infrastructure team, right? To be able to to uh, to put that up, um, but also the realization that your first customer is your employee. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. because all of a sudden you you know yeah, the quality of the service you to, you provide to your employees make a huge business impact, um, and that I think put the accent on you know the fact that your two main clients are your customers and your employees and it's important to have those two right in balance can you tell me about a new development in the world of fintech innovation and finance that really excites you that's the one thing that really gets you going the one thing where you're like yes this is why i put my pants on in the morning jeff <laughs> if, I mean, if you I, do I, put I, your pants on in the morning, right? I mean, there's also one thing that uh, COVID has changed, right? You, you don't know <laughs> That's true. which type of pants you put right. in the morning. I'm sorry, I'm just going to restate that question, Jeff. Yes, this is the reason why I put those sweatpants on in the morning. <laughs> so, so first of all, I do wear pants, even if I'm working at home. Uh, so, so, so. Secondly, uh, to, to answer your question, Jonathan, I, I honestly think that, that there's never been a more exciting time to work in financial services. But I think if, if there's one thing that, that, that FinTech has taught us in, in recent years, and, and the key thing that I'm personally excited about, it's not necessarily a, a particular technology. It, it's not yeah, uh, uh, all the cool things that are happening in blockchain or, or AI or whatsoever. To me, it's really about yeah, how some of those technologies can be leveraged to, to, to help banks develop a better understanding of you know, the, what are the brutal realities of customers' lives, the millions and millions of customers around the world that are unbanked or underbanked, and and um, the, the the very very important role that banks play, and how banks can can fundamentally help change and improve customers' lives, and and you know, some of the things that we talked about today around the the, the fact that banks are getting much and uh, much better at putting customers at the heart of everything that they do. So let's not uh, you know, charge them with, with ridiculous fees uh, if, if I go or if I need to use my overdraft or whatsoever. But really, really understanding you know, the brutal realities of customers' lives and how do you build products and services that really address those things and really help customers you know, to, to you know, not, not only change but really improve their life. And, and, and banks play such a fundamental role in that. So that is, is probably the, you know, the number one thing that I'm really, really excited about and all the changes that we're seeing in the industry today that will help us to achieve that goal. And Olivier, you? Yeah, I'll give you two. I was thinking about this while Jeff was talking. Um, I think one is what will be the future of currency? I think it's very interesting to see what's going to happen with digital currency out there and the potential battle between um, central bank currencies, uh, the currency of the big techs, uh, how bank will play in this world. I think the future of currency will be very exciting to watch. And the second, if I may uh, give another example, is, because I think it's a very fundamental one uh, at the same time, 
cryptocurrency is pretty fundamental too. <laughs> but this one is about data and, and the possibility for citizens to get back control, control of their data. What I'm trying to say is that today, I'm sure you know, and our audience should know, that when they put a search query in Google, you know, their data is used within a microseconds and being auctioned, right? So you're not anymore in control of your data. And if you want to get access to it, you just can't, right? Or you have to pay for it. Now, what you've seen is that, in a, you know, since one year, open banking has entered uh, into force in Europe, um, which effectively is forcing... Um, Uh, you know, where basically as a citizen, you can ask your banks to to share your data, so data, yeah, because it's your data, to another financial institution with with the right license, right? And and that's great. But that's great for that's great for banks. That's great for all the financial industry. That's great for the citizens at the same time. Yet it's also another possibility for big techs, for instance, to get access to those data and then <laughs> padding up to the other great amount of data that they already have uh, on your on your own, right, on yourself. And what you know, what 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 now makes more sense to say, okay, why don't we apply the same techniques for all businesses, including the big techs? Why the citizens? Could you not asking uh, any big tech to say, okay, please share your the data that you have been collected to this organization? And that is something that, that the regulators are really understanding that if you really want to create that level playing field and being able to provide and to give the control back to the citizens, to whoever is creating that data, that's what you need to do. And I think it's going to be a major battle because you are, you know, it's a major threat for any large business of those big techs. Okay. And, and Jonathan. Yes, Jeff. Sorry, Jonathan. Just, 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 just if I may, uh, and, and also because Olivier uh, had, had two, uh, you know, gave two examples. Uh, I think the, <laughs> Fair the, enough. Thing, Fair the, enough. The, yeah. the, the other, so let's, let's make it a tie. Uh, the, the other thing that I'm, uh, I'm super, super excited about is, is the concept of um, you know, something that's referred to as embedded finance, which is, which is really the, um, uh, the, the, the seamless integration and provision of, of financial services um, um, within the offering of, of, any, uh, of any business. So imagine that you know, your, your favorite brand you know, starts to provide you with, with different types of financial services. So the bank of the future or, or the organization your bank with in the future might not necessarily be your existing bank but you could get a loan or another financial services product um, you know, or, or service from your most favorite brand but and I think that that really is a key trend that has just started but it's something that I'm particularly excited about and I think we'll hear a lot more about in uh, in, yeah, in the years to come and there you have it the end of the first episode of let's talk innovation and a big thank you to my guests today it's olivier guillemond of ing innovation labs here in the studio and jeff tyson of 11 fs global head of consulting and you are in london thank you to the both of you and a big thank you to you our listeners this is a new podcast so please let us know what you think of it if you want to learn more about innovation and ing's innovations you can listen to other episodes they're coming up on www.bnr.nl slash brand stories slash innovation that's long so i'm going to say it again bnr.nl slash brand stories slash innovation this was let's talk innovation my name is jonathan gruber have an innovative day